近各世界の体制と帝国の現状とに鑑み、You are listening to history。終戦と保守、ここに終了なる南次新民に次ぐ。That is the voice of the former emperor of Japan, Hirohito, now in death, the emperor Showa, broadcasting to the Japanese people exactly 70 years ago today, on August the 15th, 1945, announcing in effect the end of World War II. Even if you speak Japanese, you may not understand what Hirohito is saying. In 1945, very few, if any, of the Japanese people who had been ordered to gather around their radios throughout the country to hear the imperial message, very few understood what their emperor was actually saying. It was the first time he had ever broadcast to the Japanese people. But public understanding was limited by the fact that not only were the people hearing their sovereign for the first time, But the emperor was speaking the learned and solemn language reserved for the Son of Heaven alone, which one historian describes as an antique, almost Chinese court language that had little in common with the ordinary language the people spoke. The speech was also to become a formal document. The emperor's imperial rescript, rescript is the word the Japanese use for an official edict, the imperial rescript on the termination of the war. Herbert Bix, in his masterly biography, Hirohito in the Making of Modern Japan, published in the year 2000, reports that the chief cabinet secretary, Hisatsune Sakomizu, Who put together the rescript was assisted by two Japanese scholars of the Chinese classics. It took the best part of three days. Once the task was completed, the Suzuki cabinet still had to approve it, and only did so after six hours of contentious discussion on the night of August the 14th. Still later that same night, Hirohito both signed the rescript and recorded the final version. The emperor's attendants then had to hide and protect the recording from would be coup makers, mainly from the army, who were anxious to forestall any surrender. The historic recording at one stage, it is said, only survived tucked away in a laundry woman's handbasket. The end of World War II in Japan was, in these ways, a great drama. When I first visited Japan in the mid 60s, friends took me to see an absorbing 1967 movie, Nihon no Ichiban Nagaihi, a docudrama about Japan's longest day, which superbly recreated the suspense of the protracted peace process as the politicians tried to reach consensus on the emperor's decision to surrender and also the prevailing tension as Top military officers, such as the head of the army, General Anami Korechika, felt forced to decide whether to obey and support the emperor or alternatively to back the would be coup makers. I was hoping that this film would be by now available on YouTube, but so far, no luck. 
It had been, of course, Emperor Hirohito who had signed the rescript ordering the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese Navy in 1941, which made World War II global. But needless to say, no linkage was drawn between that event and the surrender. But as the Japanese set about drafting the Emperor's speech, the crucial hurdle that had to be overcome was the problem posed by the Potsdam Summit Conference Joint Declaration issued by the United States, Britain and China on July 26, 1945, stipulating the terms for Japan's surrender. Uh, China's presidents at Potsdam remains something of a mystery. As far as I've been able to find out, no Chinese official, such as the foreign minister, attended the conference. The only summit Chiang Kai-shek attended during World War II was the one with Roosevelt and Churchill at Cairo in November 1943. Yet all reports maintain that China was one of the nations issuing the joint declaration at Potsdam in 1945. The declaration stipulated that Japanese sovereignty would in future be limited to the four main islands of Honshu, Hokkaido, Kyushu and Shikoku and, quote, such minor islands as we determine, unquote. It reiterated what had been agreed in the Cairo Declaration of 1943, that Japan was to be reduced to her pre-1894 territory and stripped of her previous empire, notably Korea and Taiwan, as well as her more recent wartime conquests. The declaration further stated that, quote, the Japanese government shall remove all obstacles to the revival and strengthening of democratic tendencies among the Japanese people, freedom of speech, of religion and of thought, as well as respect for the fundamental human rights shall be established, unquote. There were other restrictions. The joint declaration called for the elimination for all time of the authority and influence of those who have deceived and misled the people of Japan into embarking on world conquest. No attempt was made to define who these people were. There would be an occupation of Japan at points in Japanese territory to be designated by the Allies. While we do not intend that the Japanese shall be enslaved as a race or destroyed as a nation, stern justice will be meted out to all war criminals, including those who have visited cruelties upon our prisoners. Nothing was said in the declaration about the position of the Japanese emperor, largely because the British and the Americans strongly disagreed about it. Essentially, the Americans were close to the Pacific War, while the British were a bit more removed from it. The Americans wanted to abolish the position of emperor and possibly try Hirohito as a war criminal. The British wanted to retain Japan's constitutional monarchy, perhaps with Hirohito remaining emperor. Contrary to what had been originally intended, the Potsdam Declaration made no mention of the emperor at all. But the most crucial condition came at the end of the joint declaration. We call upon the government of Japan to proclaim now the unconditional surrender of all Japanese armed forces and to provide all adequate assurances on their good faith in such action. The alternative for Japan is prompt and utter destruction. A warning accompanied all these conditions. 
We will not deviate from them. There are no alternatives. We shall brook no delay. The fact that atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki after the initial release of the Potsdam Joint Declaration underlined all these threats. Before they were dropped, Prime Minister Kantaro Suzuki dismissed the Joint Declaration with his famous use of the ambiguous Japanese word mokusatsu, which meant either ignore or treat with quiet contempt. The Japanese sent only one official query to the Allies. Essentially, what would be the future position of Japan's polity and its emperor-led system? U.S. Secretary of State James Byrne replied, stressing unconditional surrender, essentially explaining that from the moment of surrender, the authority of the emperor of the Japanese government to rule the state shall be subject to the supreme commander of the Allied powers, of course, to be General Douglas MacArthur. Bix reveals that Hirohito only accepted this condition because it was mistranslated for him. Against this complex background, it is hardly surprising that the emperor began his speech by immediately accepting the joint declaration and then by trying to put the best gloss on Japan's wartime endeavours. Here, without comment, is an English translation of Japan's historical moment on August 15, 1945, as Emperor Hirohito addressed the nation. To our good and loyal subjects, after pondering deeply on the general trend of the world and the actual conditions pertaining to our empire today, we have decided to effect a settlement of the present situation by resorting to an extraordinary measure. We have ordered our government to inform the government of the United States, Britain, China and the Soviet Union that our empire accepts the provisions of their joint declaration, the Potsdam Declaration. To strive for the common prosperity and happiness of all nations, as well as for the security and well-being of our subjects, is the solemn obligation which has been handed down by our imperial ancestors and which lies close to our heart. Indeed, we declared war on America and Britain out of our sincere desire to ensure Japan's self-preservation and the stabilization of East Asia, it being far from our thought either to infringe upon the sovereignty of other nations or to embark upon territorial aggrandizement. But now the war has lasted for nearly four years. Although the best has been done by everyone, the gallant fighting of the military and naval forces, the diligence and assiduity of our servants of the state, and the devoted service of our hundred million people, the war situation has developed not necessarily to Japan's advantage, while the general trends of the world have all turned against her interests. Moreover, the enemy has begun to employ a new most cruel bomb whose power to do damage is indeed incalculable, taking toll of many innocent lives. Should we continue to fight, it would only result in the ultimate collapse and obliteration of the Japanese nation and would also lead to the total extinction of human civilization. Such being the case, how are we to save millions of our subjects or ourselves to atone before the hallowed spirits of our imperial ancestors? 
This is the reason we have ordered the acceptance of the provisions of the joint declaration of the powers. We cannot but express the deepest sense of regret to our allied nations of East Asia who have consistently cooperated with the Empire towards the emancipation of East Asia. The thought of those officers and men who have fallen on the field of battle, of those who have died at their posts of duty, or those who have met with untimely death, and of their bereaved families, pains our heart night and day. The welfare of the wounded and the war victims of those who have lost their homes and livelihood are objects of our profound solicitude. The hardships and sufferings to which our nation is to be subjected hereafter will certainly be great. We are keenly aware of the inmost feelings of all of you, our subjects. However, it is according to the dictates of time and fate that we have resolved to pave the way for a grand peace for all generations to come by enduring the unendurable and suffering what is unsufferable. Having been able to save and maintain the structure of the imperial state, we are always with you, our good and loyal subjects, relying upon your sincerity and integrity. Beware most strictly lest any outburst of emotion which may engender needless complications or any fraternal contention and strife which may create confusion lead you astray and cause you to lose the confidence of the world. Let the entire nation continue as one family from generation to generation, ever firm in its faith in the imperishability of its divine land and mindful of its heavy burden of responsibilities and the long road before it. Devote your united strength to construction for the future. Cultivate ways of rectitude, further nobility of spirit, and work with resolution so that you may enhance the innate glory of the imperial state and keep pace with the progress of the world. Unquote. In his book, Herbert Bix reveals that, quote, to ensure correct understanding of the emperor's message, which was written in obscure court style, well-known radio announcer Wada Shinken then reread the entire speech in ordinary language. Unquote. 